Hi everyone, my name is Dr. Deb Roberts and I am the host for season two of the Mind Medicine Australia's podcast. Before we begin with this week's guest, a reminder that Mind Medicine Australia's focus is on the development and the use of evidence-based psychedelic-assisted therapies within regulated healthcare systems. We do not, though, encourage the use of psychedelic medicines outside of this context, and we do not support the use of these substances in any way that is unlawful. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only. None of the content herein constitutes medical advice. Guests' views are their own and do not represent the views of Mind Medicine Australia, and individuals need to discuss their individual healthcare needs with their healthcare providers. Thank you for listening. So welcome to the program, Simone. Um, I am excited to um, have this conversation with you. We were just um, talking before we started uh, recording and the opportunity um, always can be um, layered um, because we're talking about so many different, um, I guess, issues around uh, just the health and well-being of humans. And so I just used the first um, maybe 30 seconds just to ground ourselves. And I say this each time that it's um, really for me, for me as much as maybe um, the person who I'm talking to. Um, so it's just an invitation if you feel like closing the eyes, maybe just the, whatever's touching the ground um, or the seat that you are on. And if you're listening, perhaps just taking a moment in a safe way to just release kind of excess baggage, excess energy that perhaps doesn't, um, that just isn't relevant for our conversation and to just be as real and authentic um, in a a way that feels right um, for us having this uh, important conversation today. And also just to now feed um, the parts of us that, also need, um, you know, continued uh, healing, uh, continued energy toward um, a sense of well-being and purpose, um, and just allowing when you're ready that maybe the eyes to slowly um, blink open. Sometimes we kind of can see um, in a little bit in a different way. So welcome. Um, I am excited to now hear from you um, in terms of your very um, interesting background and a lot of the listeners may not have um, come across um, your background. So I would love for you just to introduce yourself and um, you can give a little bit of context background eventually of how perhaps um, you've come into um exposure with um, Mind Medicine Australia or psychedelics, but just feel you can start with wherever you're at and what feels comfortable. Thanks, Deb. It's an absolute pleasure to meet you and be here. And thank you for that gorgeous introduction and that grounding. I just find that grounding is so important. I just felt myself grow in spaciousness and feel more connected. And it's a beautiful technique. And it's definitely a technique that mindfulness and grounding and self-connection that's important uh, in the psychedelics as well so as a major tool to to deal with some of those big journeys but um 
Yeah, my background with my medicine has been over the last few years. I helped um, campaign the TGA to get psilocybin used in Australia under therapeutic use, clinical use, uh, speaking in Byron Bay and various places to uh, awaken people to these new possibilities. Uh, I was in touch with the organisation uh, around my own mental health crisis uh, which happened a few years ago, um, and I had a bit of a mental breakdown, so to speak. Uh, I had come from a very, very stressful background, founding my own company, and over many years I had uh, six business ventures at the same time, as well as a, a wholesale international roasting house and 50 staff and two small children. Uh, and yeah, just trying to deal as a young woman with, um, with life, you know, with, um, with dealing with young kids and staff and a, a business that was scaling and, um, a relationship that, um, really didn't have, uh, um, a strong foundation. Uh, and he was also my business partner. Um, so, you know, it was, uh, a massive loss to me, the end of that relationship and dream that we created um we had created a multi-million dollar enterprise and thought that you know that we had gained everything we should have you know I felt that growing up I was told that you know when you get the Mercedes and when you get the house and you know the children and when you get all these things you're going to be happy you know I just felt like once I gained all of that that I would automatically be happy and my whole life would be okay um, and actually it was the opposite that I felt ripped off in a way. I felt lonely. I felt disconnected. I felt like everything was fake, um, that I was living a fake life. Nothing made sense to me. Nothing was meaningful. Nothing felt good, no matter what I had. And I really started to understand that this dream that I had been sold was just not true. Um that having all of that didn't really make me feel better inside. And so um, it was a really difficult time for me. It was like, well, what is going to make you happy? If this is not going to make you happy, then what is? And, um, you know, that was the start of my existential crisis. That was the end of my relationship as I knew it. I knew it was no longer serving me, that nothing I had created was serving me and the deeper picture to what I was capable of and what I um, wanted to feel basically um, and so literally jumping into the unknown just losing everything and jumping into the absolute unknown of what was going to make me happy and what I was going to create next um, was the biggest turning point and the scariest point in my life and that's when my mental health really started to deteriorate because if you don't have anything to hang on to um, that can be a really scary place you know I didn't have anything to hang on to you know my job title my business my relationship my role as a wife everything had gone um and then I had to re-find myself and recreate my life and try and find what was meaningful and, and what was going to make me happy from there so um yeah it was a very very tough time the loss of all of everything that I knew basically and how old, so what age, um, you said you had a young daughter, you say, a child? I've got two young boys at the time. I was turning 40, which is, you know, basically the time when you have a midlife crisis. Um, and I knew that going out and buying the Corvette wasn't going to work and everything else that we 
think might make us happy. Um, so yeah, it was, it was really the death of everything that I knew. And in the midst of it, I've got these two young, precious souls under my care while mum's going through this massive spiritual awakening, existential crisis, mental health issues, you name it. I knew it was more than just mental health issues, though. I must say that. I do think that there was a bigger picture to what was happening. Happening, I think that, um, you know, looking back now, I wouldn't wish it on anybody, but I do. I have created an incredible life for myself that is much more meaningful, that is much more authentic that is much more self-connected, where my relationships are more meaningful. And sadly, sometimes in that loss, um, we don't realise what the new creation is, you know, that the fact that depression and these um, feelings of being uncomfortable and suffering are actually warning signs or catalysts that lead us to change and move in different alignments that are more, you know, in alignment with our highest good. And it's finding the resources, the courage, the strength um, to be able to move into those spaces, to be able to create this newness away from the conditioning, the social conditioning, away from everything that you may even know or been told. You know, it's sort of coming into this space of following your intuition and letting all of that go so that you can create something something new for yourself. Um, wow. Um, I say that... Um continually um in talking to people i which is such a um possibly even an in, inappropriate or ineffective um word to say um wow um but it's i it's like this kind of like what i i get this um kind of feeling of oh my gosh you know of course um and there's so many different elements that you've already just um spoken about one of the things you just said though um you know, first you were saying, you know, a mental um, breakdown or um, uh, and having more than um, a mental illness um, and in that existential um, <clears throat> crisis, so to so to speak. Um, and then you were talking about how it in one way was a warning um, and then in another way, a catalyst. Um, mm. And really the juxtaposition of those two aspects um, um in relation to what we call mental health or well-being, <clears throat> I just find that I'm drawn to what you said in terms of, um, you know, if we think as a, if we look at mental um, health or mental ill health, mental well-being um, as a catalyst, um, you know, a catalyst is something that um, often brings you. It's a, it's you know, it's a there's a process of bringing to something else you're moving toward a direction so to speak and yeah I wonder if you might be able to say a little bit more about that in terms of how you I guess it's almost how we're how we're positioning suffering um yeah sounds like you had a lot of um aspects that you were hold, holding on to that then perhaps maybe didn't give um as much meaning um that you as then you thought um and yes. Um, the opportunity of, I guess you've galvanized, yeah, I guess maybe with that catalyst or maybe talking a little bit more around warning and catalyst, if that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, it wasn't until I got into the Amazon and started to, I was literally on my knees at the feet of the shaman at this point. So like I had 
tried everything to get well. I'd been to every psychologist, every doctor. I tried medication. I tried everything, you name it. Every single health yoga retreat, you know, I moved to Byron Bay. I was doing anything I could to save myself, to be honest. I was really, really struggling with really deep suicidal ideations. I remember I'd wake up every day um, and uh, and I would just be wishing to God that those thoughts and those feelings would leave me. They were just so extreme. Um, the thing about suicidal ideations is you can't talk yourself out of them. And it's not even the way of thinking. It's a feeling. Like it just feels like a truck has hit you or someone has died every day. You just, the level of grief. And, you know, it, it gets very complicated. Um, you know, you start to lose your joy and you start to lose any meaning and it becomes a very, very dark and scary place to be. And especially when you have people that rely on you, that love you, uh, and you're not feeling any connection with yourself or anyone else or nature or the world or nothing is bright anymore. Um, it's a very, very um, lonely and difficult place to be in and it can get chronic and it starts to chip away in very deep ways and get very scary so um I knew within that Deb that there was something I knew that there was something within that and I went to this um yoga class and this girl said to me you're going through a dark night of the soul thing like this is this is the, what the, you know, like a shamanic death. This is what many of the mystics, even in Christianity, have talked about. You know, like this is the complete loss. This is almost like to put it in, you know, everyday terms that people might understand. It's like you're coming out of the matrix into something greater, you know. You're coming out of all the social conditioning. You realise that nothing here is going to bring you that level of connection and love that you're seeking, that nothing, not a car, not a person, like food or anything that you um, desire is going to bring you that sense of fulfilment that you're seeking. Like you're letting go of all of those connections into this matrix or samsara, as the Buddhist would say, and into something greater, like this sense of love and fulfillment and joy within yourself what does that look like you know it's the first time where I thought oh maybe I've got to look inside myself you know you know what is this darkness and where is it leading me to is it really that bad some of the things that I've I've lost like what is I call it the dark wisdom now Deb I really do it's like what what is in this dark wisdom I know now that I was deep in my shadow that I was deep in my trauma that I had never really acknowledged the childhood trauma that I had experienced and how it had infected and affected my whole life, that I was coming from my lens that I was looking into the world with was filled with self-hate, with lack of self-worth, um, that I really didn't have a lot of faith in myself, that I was coming from basically a traumatised child. I felt like a lot of the parts of myself were still that five-year-old that had never grown up and really recovered from some of the things that had happened. And in that darkness, I saw all of that. I just didn't have the tools or ability to confront it and just lay those dragons, so to speak. Like I, I had to learn. I learned through synchronicity and seeking help. I started to receive the information I needed. It was like this greater divine orchestration was leading me into wellness when you're open to it, it was leading me into wellness. It was like, well, it's all here if you're open to it. And I had to save my life. I had to get out of bed and I had to go and find those tools and people that could help me. 
And it took me on a journey that was like the alchemist, you know, <laughs> just going around the world, just trying to get help and seeking, you know, tools. And one of the tools was meditation. One of the tools was mindfulness. One of the tools was um, self-compassion. Self-compassion, you know, like this inner critic that was eating away at my soul. You know, one of the tools was being brave and starting to step into life more and try and find my courage. You know, one of the tools was, you know, starting a new career, going back to university, like all the things that I had fought against that I never thought that I was worthy or good enough to do. I've had to, you know, grow into those spaces. But, you know, quite honestly, and why we're here, you know, is because um, it was the medicines, it was the psychedelics that started to interrupt that darkness, that it was that that actually started to, when you're that traumatised and you're in those deep states of darkness, it's very hard to find your feet. And it was definitely the psychedelics that gave me the hope, that cracked open my soul, that cracked open my mind to new possibilities. And quite honestly, it was um, the only thing that actually started to to uh, make sense to me and get me feeling well again. And you had, um, so you were just mentioning how um, you had gone overseas to access, was it the ayahuasca? Mm-hmm. Um, and was that the first time, because you said, you, you know, you were at a pretty bad place yeah. then. Um was it did the tools and so forth happen after that or your experience maybe with the ayahuasca i don't know if you want to uh, want to share maybe that first experience um if you feel comfortable oh yeah i'd love to i would love to share this experience because quite honestly i'm so passionate about it i am just so it saved my life Deb. it saved my life so you got there were um, you were you i Go ended by- up I went I went with two other people yeah. um you know going into the Amazon it's a very dangerous place you know yeah. and it's third world conditions and you know the shaman doesn't speak uh, English even like he speaks Spanish he came I had met a lot of um a couple of people not a lot of people a couple of people that had sat with this shaman that I really I really trust these people and so I knew that I was safe that I would be okay and as far as I'm concerned, you know, he's up there as one of the best um, in terms of his abilities and his experience. And he's a bit like the Yoda of the Amazon. You've got to get on a boat and get into a Kedos and then on a boat and try and find where he lives. And he's not like really famous and celebrity and, you know, got this great retreat centre or anything. So he's very hard to find and, um, you know, you're very deep in the jungle where he is. And, you know, when I got there, I wasn't well at all. You know, I was really unwell and I needed a lot of support. And I remember when I got there, you know, through translating, uh, he said to me that, you know, this this mental, you know, unwellness is good. It has led you here. It has led to you, you know, becoming the best version of yourself. He said, you know, in the tribes and in our tradition, you know, depression is seen as a catalyst for growth. It's, it is spirit touching you and um, tapping you on the shoulder and saying, hey, you know, there is more. That those feelings of dissatisfaction were actually the awakenings into spirituality and spiritual growth and even ascension and enlightenment. And so, you know, even in the tribes, the most mentally ill is, you know, sometimes the shaman even. 
So it's like they're the ones that the, the shamans see um, or they're the ones that are, you know, um, they don't believe that their mental illness is, that their schizophrenia even and, you know, they have a different paradigm around mental health. They see them as in contact with spirits, that they're speaking to ascended masters, so to speak. There's a whole different mental paradigm around mental health in the Amazon in particular. So I wasn't feeling so... Um, pathologized like I did in Western culture. Like there was something so wrong with me. I started to learn through this shaman how to befriend this shadow and how to become friends with myself and to understand myself. And and um, that when he took what he said to me um, before I went into ceremony, he said, your energies are so out of alignment. Like, you know, we really do need to get you more centred and and get your energies aligned so that was all i knew before i went into ceremony um and you've got to remember like we're in the middle of the jungle with anacondas and all of that's true but you can't escape once you're there there are piranhas in the amazon and there are no boats so it's like i was stuck there no matter what happened for the week there was no way out so the jungle does that too it seems to um illuminate your fears so when you're there it's not easy it's not rainbows and buttercups like you are, you're definitely facing your fears when you go into the Amazon and meet these shaman. Um, and I did feel safe though, and I did trust. And so that were the two things that got me through the whole experience. Um, when you go into ceremony with a shaman, they sing songs and they have, you know, uh, assistants there to assist. And you're in a maloka, um, which is very dark. There's no light. And the shaman calls you to him and you drink the ayahuasca, which is not the most, um, uh, it's an interesting tasting uh, brew. <laughs> uh, it's not the easiest to stomach sometimes. Uh, so that came as a bit of a shock. Um, and drinking it, um, you know, you hear that you sometimes purge. Well, yeah, there was a lot of purging um, and um, there was a lot of discomfort. And as he starts to sing and play music, you start to settle down and it takes about an hour to come on. And then quite honestly, the only way I can explain it is all of a sudden you land in a video game. It just feels like you have landed in a different dimension when the DMT starts to hit. Um, and where you're going to land, you never know. Um, and it's always such a different experience. It's like entering a different world or a different video game every time. And, um, and, Basically, for me, uh, where I landed was straight back into that childhood trauma that I was talking about. And it's almost like this great intelligence descended upon me and showed me exactly what the problem was and what had happened. And it was all to do with um, having a very deep abandonment and betrayal um, in my childhood that had basically shaped the way that I had seen my life uh, from then. And it magically and intelligently um, showed me what had happened and brought forgiveness. I just felt this incredible forgiveness. I felt this almost like it was almost like it had cleaned it up. It had it had it had completely healed it. Whatever had happened in that process, I felt that that trauma had been healed and was no longer a part of my life. And it was like a thorn in my side for so long. It had resonated and vibrated through the whole of my life and affected everything, to be honest. 
And in that one ceremony, it was almost like it had, they'd pulled a thorn out or the shaman had helped pull a thorn out that was hurting me, that I hadn't known. It was unconsciously there for so long. And in the uh, second part of the ceremony, I just felt uh, this loving presence, like I had never felt such love and such um, communion with everything. I felt like the ayahuasca had connected me back in to everything, not just myself, but nature, family, everything. It had just connected me back to everything. Again, the wow is um, coming into my <laughs> Um, the lexicon and it is I don't know there's a childlike um, aspect I think in me of of even saying um, that you know when you there's this like wonder it's like oh my goodness you know it in some ways kind of there is no words um, I'm really conscious also of you know, the psychedelic assisted therapy where it is now in terms of the legislation in Australia, <clears throat> having, um, in a sense, opened um, a pathway for um, psilocybin and um, MDMA, um, but psychedelics in general, um, in terms of a pathway, you know, of where how it can be embedded potentially in the in the system as an option. And it's interesting because I'm thinking of what your example, how you just described that, Simone, and then thinking about uh, translating that, um, you know, here, I, you know, where I'm in Melbourne, um, Australia, as an example, you know, how in the clinic, and I've, you know, we've, people have probably, or you can go and have a look if you haven't seen, um, you know, of how some of the administration of the, um, of these powerful medicines can be kind of somewhat kind of uh, the bridge between the clinical setting and kind of a, a, a healthy environment, that set and setting aspect. And I just wonder, one, if you could speak to um, the aspect of quite an amazing experience you just had uh, that sorry you had then <clears throat> and how um you from that experience post having that experience um how you integrated that into um life and living and how um also that aspect of um and you described it eloquently you know it isn't easy this isn't it is not easy work. Um, mm. And you said rainbows and buttercups. I think that's quite, cute. <laughs> um, you know, it's but it's true. And it's a reminder of this, you know, what is the panacea, even if you had those that momentary, which you just <clears throat> drew us in um, with that e example that you just described. I wonder when you came back or how that has when. So that was when you were four was 40, that when yeah. 40 yeah. yeah um and now um like from then to now and I know there's I'm sure a lot um still to describe yeah. but I guess I it made me think of wow this seems like a magical moment in a way but not an easy one and I wonder how long um it lingered you know mm -hmm. or really was it that one you know one example um just in that kind of how do we how does one integrate your experience and then coming back to like a clinical setting which is what yeah we're the path that we're on at the moment um and just what your thoughts are around mm. that more so what how you integrated post that 
experience? Yes. Really, really good question. So look, the medicine is only as good as your integration. It really is. So like you will get downloads from this great intelligence, whether you believe it's your own or something else, that will blow your mind. It's like the information that comes through in terms of, okay, your life's a mess. This is what we need to do. Now, my life was a mess. I'd lost a lot of friendships. The relationships with my son weren't there either. I had a lot to make up for. I had a lot of changes that I needed to make. And I tell you what, it took a lot to come back and to face all of that and to be able to sort my life out. And I'm the only one that could do that. And so it's like once you, what you see, so to speak, in the medicine needs to come back and then you need the hard work is changing your life and bringing your life into alignment with the visions that you saw uh, because it's almost like you're connected back into divinity. So you're no longer seeing your life in this darkness, hopeless state. You're actually in this divine place of possibility of love and you're now the lens has changed and it's like but your life is still that shit show that you left before you went into ceremony so when you come back everybody's not like oh my god here's this person of light and everything's great it's not you have to come back and then you have to um mindfully and respectfully honor what you've been told and seen and been shown and then implement that in your life And, you know, that took a a while for me to come into that alignment and to start to uh, behave differently and for people to trust me again and to love me again and to um, feel safe around me again after everything that had gone on. So it took a little bit. And then I had to make drastic decisions again around where my life was and what I wanted in terms of coming to the alignment around my work as well. You know, there was massive, massive things that happened, Deb. It was almost like miraculous. When I came back, I felt like a warrior. I was a different person, you know. I ended up, um, it was beyond my wildest dreams. I There were so many blessings that came from it. I felt like, you know, you get rewarded for doing the work. And um, I ended up as uh, becoming the uh, senior director for World Vision Australia um, uh, in the, in social enterprise, and I ended up, you know, helping hundreds of thousands of women globally um, become economically empowered through my work with World Vision. So I ended up coming back, not just changing my own life and family, but actually impacting the world. Like it was really big, you know. It's really big work. (laughs) Yeah, it's really big work. And I think like even doing this um, podcast, it reminds me of, wow, that's where I came. Sometimes I don't even acknowledge, you know, what I've been through it's nice to actually reflect on it because um yeah looking back that was a very big thing that I went through and what I came well you came out of. for people who are not um uh, looking visually seeing this um interview and just listening you know your hand just went straight to the heart center um and it's so interesting how um an embodied um an embodied and, and aware when we are aware how we um how the body uh reacts and the sensations etc and it's just um i guess it's heartening to you know that there's that heart center of coming back to a sense of um yeah who we are safety um but also kind of that i suppose that self-compassion 
aspect as yeah. well. Um, totally. Yeah. I think you've hit on another really good point. When you're in extreme trauma and extreme darkness and suicidal ideations, the last place you want to be is in your body, yeah? The last place. So, like, when someone would say to me, you need to meditate or be mindful or come back to your heart, there was no way. I was completely dissociated. I was completely dysregulated. I was completely in dorsal vagal. I was frozen, helpless, in extreme states of nervous dysregulation. Now, the one thing about these medicines, which is really powerful, is that they really believe it's all trapped in the body, trauma's trapped in the body. Now, I mentioned purging at the start, which may be really um, horrible for people to hear or want to experience, but I can honestly say that I felt like I was purging out trauma, that it actually goes deep into the body and releases repressed emotions. Like I was crying, I was screaming during the ceremony, like, it completely gets within the body and releases everything that hasn't been serving you that you've been holding on to. I felt when the shaman said we need to align your energies, he actually meant from a psychological perspective that he was regulating my nervous system again. Because it was only after those ceremonies that I felt safe enough to start to go back into my heart and feel joy again. So um, post that experience, did you come... It sounds as though um, from a work perspective that and purpose, um, you certainly were able to initiate that, like your example with the world vision. Um, and what about other connections for you? How um, how did that play out or how does that play out? I think that when you start to what the medicine did for me was I felt that sense of self-regulation again. I felt that I was balanced energetically and I was had the spaciousness and resources then to start to meditate, to be mindful, to do yoga. I had the capacity to be able to do those things, whereas before I couldn't because I was so dysregulated and so dissociated. So the medicine brought me back into the body and then I had to learn. And honestly, again, Deb, I think it's divine orchestration. It just seemed like once I started to support myself, believe in myself, want this healing, everything started to happen. That is just beyond. I could write a book about it. You just wouldn't believe the support and help and things that happened from there. The well, doors think, that opened. Yeah, the, some of that synchronicity um, is an interesting um an interesting perspective and our awareness, um, you know, evolves. Uh, I think that the, you know, again, coming now back to the system, the health system, the health and so, so social system, the service system here and abroad. I mean, I think you can talk about it generally um, in kind of uh, in some of the jurisdictions where, um, these medicines have been, um, you know, illegal. Um, now the pathway for um, not just the uh, taking of the medicine, but also the integration, you know, on, on both sides. Um, do you have thoughts on, uh, in terms of the system, the service system, how, um, how you think it, this might play out in terms of, people's integration doesn't even doesn't just happen you know three times post um you know three sessions post having the administration you know there's a, a lot of other um connectivity 
um, breadcrumbs, pieces that that obviously um, are, you know, are necessary. Um, mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on kind of coming back to the system here? How yeah. do you think that might play out? So, you know, the mind deteriorates very quickly is what I find. So you can have someone come out of an ayahuasca ceremony with all these fantastic realizations, downloads, so to speak, and very quickly you come back into life and nothing has changes or is implemented, you know. So it's like this great big wow moment, then you come back and the hard work starts and sort of, you know, things can deteriorate and stay the same very quickly. So as I said, integration and the commitment to what is um, shown within the medicine is crucial to wellness. I find that, look, I have been in Indigenous um, cultural contexts, you know, around the ayahuasca. Um, so the spiritual framework is there, yeah, so an understanding of um, the darkness and these energies and coming into divinity and ascension and you know, big, larger states of consciousness and, you know, the elders talk about that we need to come from a lens of love they believe that, you know, we are here to serve others. We are here to connect and be loving healers in the world with every single person we meet. They, they talk about you carry the medicine of that and that every single person you touch, you're sharing that beautiful medicine within every moment. So there's a massive, I think what's missing in the clinical context is that higher spiritual education and understanding which is a lived experience from these elders that have been in the medicine for so long and that have uh, understood and been working for centuries um, with these medicines and I'll give you an example you know like I had a, um, a psychedelic experience with psilocybin once where I was uh, living in Japan and I felt like, you know, my time there had come to an end. I was finding it really, really difficult. And I had a bad trip, so to speak, on psilocybin. I actually went into the psilocybin and it felt like I was in a coffin. Okay, so I'm in a giant coffin and I'm struggling to get out and I felt like I had died. Now, to anyone else, that was a horrific experience. When you understand the medicine deeply, nothing's ever a bad trip. I mean, the point of that was that I was in a situation that I hated. I was living in a place that I had overstayed my welcome. Basically, I was dying inside. And all the medicine showed me was that you are dying inside. You need to leave here. You need to go back to your family. And this needs to happen immediately, you know, because you're in a very unsafe, unwell space. And the medicine showed me how unwell I was at the time. So it was far from being a bad trip. It was showing me what the unconscious wasn't showing me. I was making excuses. I was learning, earning a lot of money in Japan, yeah, and I was compromising. When my health was deteriorating, I needed to get back to Australia but I was compromising because I was on all this money. But basically I was dying inside. And after that experience, I came back to Australia and I was very happy and a lot of good things happened. But we can't, you know, we can't, often we're not intuitive enough to understand why we're depressed or why we're not feeling great. When we go into the medicine, everything is revealed. There is no hiding. Yeah, so all of those feelings, emotions, unconscious processes that are trying to wake us up, they're knocking on the door through these feelings of unwellness and depression. They're knocking on the door, something needs to change. In the medicine, 
you will see all of that. You will see what you've been hiding from. So, yeah. but in a in a clinical setting, there is no capacity to go into that deeper, higher um, those spiritual ancient traditions. That's not there. So, you know, the practitioner also we believe we co-regulate together. We're sharing energy and processes together in ceremony. So, the wellness and experience of that practitioner administering the medicine is a crucial part of the process. Yeah. That's interesting as well with the um, consideration of having um, possibly two therapists um, at the moment talking about how um, two people, you know, have like the duality of um, support, so to speak. Um, and the credentials of those people um and it's interesting saying credentials because you know the clinical application of this um and mind medicine australia really is looking at the you know um a really supporting the clinical you know application um and yet the training of um therapists um is obviously crucial um, training of therapists and or as you just described some of the life experience um, to know these um, to know them the medicines on a different on a different level and I wonder with um, one of the things you said in terms of <clears throat> the different paradigm I wonder if you could speak to that um, a little bit more the paradigm around um, mental health um, is such a significant one and maybe one that needs agitation around how, um, you know, how there is diagnosed, you know, diagnosing of um, mental um, illnesses. Um, mm. And we know that uh, the diagnostics um, come from partially from a, a funding mechanism um, and people are getting multiple diagnoses, you know, um, and some people really identify with the diagnosis themselves and is actually quite, um, uh, uh, really don't mind the identification with perhaps the illness that they have been diagnosed with other people really push, you know, push from it. And, you know, a diagnosis itself, you know, we're not the diagnosis We're people who are, um, suffering then, a clinician coming and communicating with their background about what, um, how we could be classified. Um, so I wonder with what you just said uh, before, um, or you said it earlier around the paradigm shift in the, um, the approach around mental um, ill health, and that it's in some ways could be turned on its head and how you know, it's actually the, as you kind of said, I think like kind of the knock at the door of um, evolving to something um, greater. And I think that mm -hmm. the tricky thing with this as well, and I want to be really careful in some ways in in treating this with respect, the question that I have for you and just in general around, yeah, just how we interpret mental ill health. Um, and of course, we're trying to also at the very 
um, pointy end. And, you know, I shared with you before and listeners, if they've heard these before, know, you know, my sister ended her life um, in November in America. Um, so not here, but still suicide. Um, suicides are are not decreasing. Um, and so a paradigm, I'm just intrigued by the paradigm that you were talking about and how to cultivate that in some way around the support, at least, of um, some of these medicines being implemented. It's a kind of a very broad mm. question that's a lot to mm. take. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and again, you know, I'm terribly sorry about your sister. It's a, it's an awful experience to um to go through and to speak about, and it, it hasn't been that long for you, uh, as well. So yeah, I appreciate you sharing, and I think it really does highlight for all of us uh, how deeply you know this is impacting globally mental health at the moment. The current paradigms not serving us, and people just desperate, absolutely desperate to try and get help and to feel better and not to not suffer. Um, mm. We've just got to the point where, you know, I think, you know, most of us have been touched, you know, by somebody in a severe crisis or that isn't well or, and it's heartbreaking for all of us to watch this, you know, and to not have the help and support and access to services and even trust in the medical system in terms of whether we're going to get the help we need. So, um, it's a really desperate space for a lot of families. And I, I think it's just, you know, it's why we're speaking. It's why mind medicine exists. It's why we're trying to get these medicines approved because it's like there has got to be another way and we need to be open to it um, because what we're doing isn't working or, the, you know, it might be working in some cases but not on the scale we need it to. Um, so, you know, there is a place, you know, of course, for medications and um but, you know, for some of us who are desperate and the fact that it's illegal and we haven't got access to it is, is you know, I just find it wrong. I find it really wrong, you know, that um, Indigenous cultures have been using these medicines and, and, and ways for centuries. Um, I do understand, like, this is why CPAD exists. We need to create practitioners where the medicines are used in very safe ways. Um, you know, that they've been stigmatised over the years because they've been used in uh, ways that aren't conducive to good mental, you know, and physical well-being and safety, um, that they can be used and degenerate into into different in different um, problems, um, that we do need a bit of a framework around it. And I think this is what we're coming into in Australia. We're coming into testing, um, being more open to things, getting the research done, and creating a really safe, trusted pathway that's evidence-based so that we could possibly, you know, be in the forefront of this in the world if Australia gets this right around MDMA and psilocybin. Yeah. Um, and do you, I guess, in relation to that, um, you know, with, you know, in speaking to you now, and it seems as though there are um, that some of those connections um the connectivity to one yourself oneself connectivity with family members connectivity with um work purposeful work connectivity with um you know different support systems and modalities um what about at the moment for you is there um what seems to be sustaining you in terms of those kind of connectivity 
Um, I mean, you've mentioned, you know, yoga and meditation, um, any other kind of, and purposeful work, um, any other kind of key modalities or again, possibly even, or framework or um, ways in which you ex, um, receive that cup of, you know, the filling mm-hmm. of the cup, so to speak, um, kind of on a daily basis or whatever you feel like communicating perhaps to listeners. I think uh, just going back to your previous question too and incorporating it in this one, you know, these traditions around the medicines in other cultures are deeply spiritual. So this is, you know, the ayahuasca is the vine of the soul, you know, or the vine of the dead. That's what they call it in these traditions. So it is basically the pathway into or the direct opening into divinity you are communicating with something that is divine and is a greater intelligence and a lot of people that never believed in god or anything greater than themselves when they enter into the ayahuasca path or psilocybin or whatever you know these plant medicines san pedro is another one they start to understand that life may be there may be a bigger purpose to their life or there may be something that exists beyond themselves um, that maybe they've never read about in a book but they're starting to understand through the medicine. Um, it definitely awakens you into um, questions around who you are, around God, around a lot of things. There's a lot of things that open up when you go into the medicines that you maybe aren't acceptable in medical and clinical environments, let's just say that. So, you know, it, it's stuff that um, is beyond a clinical capacity. Yeah. Um, it's stuff that you can't prove. It's stuff, stuff that you can't test. You know, it's, it's a lived experience. It's direct revelation. You know, it's directly speaking with something greater than yourself, you know. So it's not something that I can, you know, um, prove scientifically. This is the hard part, you know, but I can definitely say that that mental illness or mental unwellness for me has just opened the door to something greater than myself, you know, and I believe that's why I experienced all of that. Mm. I let go of some of the most mundane aspects of my life and opened up into something greater. Now, what does that look like on an everyday level? Do I feel like I'm transcending enlightened, so to speak? No, I feel like every day I anchor myself in that light. I anchor myself in what I have learned in the medicines. I know that what it's trying to share is love and light on this planet. I do know that. I do know that we become those tools for change, that the medicine can't leave the jungle. It comes through us, what it's teaching us. It's bringing light and love and something different into this world. And every day I try and remember that. I try and be that. Um, So that's that God consciousness or this light frequency that it brings through and it is here to be of benefit to the world and look these are conversations that um, are not normal conversations you can have with a doctor or a psychologist we look upon the medicines as you know that they heal us they don't really understand how they heal us but they know that they can change neural pathways they can get us to think differently they know that neuroplasticity is real and some of the experience we experience in the medicine changes forever but 
you know, from a shamanic perspective and an Indigenous perspective, it's because of this greater intelligence that we're becoming in contact with. They believe the ayahuasca and psilocybin and San Pedro are spirits. They are plant spirits. You know, so this is a this is a whole bigger conversation, you know, when you're thinking about the socio-cultural context of these plant medicines. Yeah, I mean, there is so much to um, reflect on and communicate um, on so many, so many levels. Um, I know that the, um, again, that, you know, I was thinking someone young um, who, let's say in their teens, having kind of trying to figure out kind of who they are, et cetera, um, having, you know, hard time, um, having symptoms of either depression or anxiety as an example. And actually for them, for that matter, um, I could be speaking about myself. I wasn't thinking I just then, but now that I'm saying it, um, you know, when I first went to a, um, it was a psychiatrist cause we had a family history of, um, mental, um, ill health um and i had gone to my mom's psychiatrist who was also her mom's psychiatrist so it was like third generation and at mm. the time i think i was 18 and or I, I was at that time um the paradigm that i was given with which is normal generally normal in western culture you know you might go to a gp or a um you know primary care doctor or a um and then a psychiatrist you know for or, um medicine etc and i just wonder you know you look at the paradigm of um of suffering because there's suffering going on and how um when people are having um increased suffering um you know, how, you know, how we educate that kind of normalized process, so to speak, but then also at some point it becomes um, a clinical issue in the Western medicine context, at least, because we're not able to function, you know, we're not doing life, we're in the shadows, you know, in the darkness. And I just wonder, you know, imagine someone saying, you know, from this, you actually, it's, you know, it certainly doesn't feel like a gift, um, mm. when we're suffering and I just was thinking about younger people suffering and how you know these plant medicines um, with the potential but just even having the symptoms before they get the treatment of you know this is a um, part of an evolution you mm. know for you but when you're suffering and I guess I'm coming back to the felt experience for a moment and I'm trying to utilize my own example of this not my even my sisters but that um that intense suffering and if you are to that point of not wanting to um be alive um obviously mm. you're on that pointy end so it's it's just this you know I'm just trying to think about that how we what we initiate in terms of diagnosis but also support how we you know, thinking I'm asking you about this the system but then you know maybe it's not the system that is going to change maybe it's more a grassroots you know support system mm. other capacities you know maybe it's thinking about things really differently of how you service um someone and support absolutely absolutely so, and you think you know these 
you think, you know, these medicines in their traditional context are in tribes, communities of people with elders supporting these teams, you know, like that are indoctrinating them, so to speak, in a different value system to us as yeah. well, you know, and it's like it's not a me culture, it's a we culture. We are all in this together. We are dependent on each other. We support each other. You know, they're in nature, connected with nature. You know, they're picking, you know, fruits for the for the day and hunting animals and they're um, living off the land and deeply, deeply connected with the land. It's it's their, their livelihood. You know, there's that mutual respect, you know, the give and take of living within nature and there's the give and take within living in close proximity in villages, you know. So there is that time also to self-reflect and be with yourself and nature not the busyness and the continual demands that we put on ourselves with this society there is also the toxicity of our food and the way we're living with the cars and the the whole way we live is so different to these tribal nations and these these communities or villages so that's something to consider too you know, in terms of the support and how we're living is actually not in alignment to the old ways. We're completely out of alignment in this modern culture and we wonder why we're sick. And it's so multi-layered, you know. And, of course, teenagers, I feel sorry for teenagers growing up in this environment and we all hate change. And here they are with climate change. Here they are with pandemics you know that could be coming there's so many changes and so many so much ambiguity about the future for them they're in this constant state of do i have a future what's happening next at least i had some future as i was growing up i get the house i do this i do that there was a you know i felt the world was fairly stable you know but these teens growing up now are just living in totally different times and so look where are the resources, where are the skills around self-regulation, around mindfulness, around values, around what's important to me, around how I have mindful, loving connections and build those connections so I feel safe? Where are we building capacity for these teenagers to strengthen those resources, so that positive resources, so that when the tough and challenging times come, they have that capacity to deal with it. They have that resilience to deal with it. And these are skills that you learn in the villages, you know, living with the shaman. They were all so kind to each other. They were all so kind. Yeah. You had modelling. Mm. Um, yeah. How old are your kids now? So I have a 17-year-old and a 20-year-old, and I can honestly say that I did it all for them that they are the reason, you know, as well as the medicine that I am here every day, you know, I'm grateful for those beautiful souls. And hopefully, you know, in time they'll understand what happened to mama and that they join me in, you know, this wellness and different ways of thinking. And um, I know that they've definitely grown up in a different way, you know, with mum over in the Amazon doing ayahuasca and speaking about all these different things. I don't think it's... <laughs> you know, normal or comfortable sometimes for them, having a mum that's followed this path. But I know that they're very proud and very grateful. So I'm very lucky. Well, that says a lot right there in terms of, um, I, you know, there's a modelling 
of sorts and people might be um um yeah i think that the opportunity of seeing someone to find connection it is you you know when you find it again and coming back and then establishing you know uh deep family connections mm. um everything. as you are whole um feeling filled um it sounds like um you've put a lot of um important things in place um for just kind of you know daily daily living um and i i think that as um you know i was wondering you can of course add as well anything that um hasn't been asked i was wondering your hopes for um you know your hopes for the future related to psychedelics um you know i don't you haven't communicated but you know i don't know whether um the a group setting um you know if you're on um retreat do you have any ideas in your of how how to roll out um yeah just effective models of the the use of the medicines in terms of groups or in at the moment it's with four individuals um with two therapists um mm-hmm. that's the model being put forward there's other models um internationally um as well as group you know group dynamics do you have any thoughts yeah no. I think that there's definitely a place for that. I know a lot of people don't have the ability to get over into the Amazon or into Peru and to um, safely uh, take these medicines. You know, there has been a lot of degeneration in terms of practitioners over there um, that uh, haven't been, been behaving well in ceremonies. So people are definitely... Um, wanting a more clinical, safe environment with, you know, educated and um, um, people who have been qualified. Um, so there's definitely a place for that, and I think it's amazing, and I hope to see uh, it grow and be accepted and to scale uh, across the world, those sort of environments. I do think that there is a place and will always be a place, and my heart is definitely more aligned with uh, Indigenous ceremonial environments, with big groups. I think that I have seen and witnessed and been a part of some miraculous healings, uh, not just mental but physical, you know, like I've seen cancers cured, I've seen autoimmunes uh, sorted out, chronic fatigue, like you name it, some of the most... Um, things that cannot be cured in Western medicine cured in the Amazon with the ayahuasca and other plant medicines that they have that we don't even know about here. Um, So I think, you know, which is why I'm creating psychedelic tours and creating, you know, safe places and bridging the gap there so people can go over to, uh, I'm part of the Aya Healing Centre. They have all the practitioners, doctors, psychologists there. They have a shaman, Shipibo shaman that does the work. So people can have the flower bars, learn about Indigenous cultures, learn these techniques and skills of integration in a really safe and uh, sociocultural context. That's not for everybody, you know, like we need these medicines here. It's not like you can take a teenager that's really, really depressed or has addictions into those spaces. So, you know, look, I see, you know, ayahuasca is a different kettle of fish to psilocybin and MDMA. It is really, really rooted in deep spiritual, you know, and it, it's a fierce medicine to work with. So I think that we'll see some changes to that, that they're isolating DMT and um, they're doing all sorts of things now. 
Um, I think that it's going to explode into new technologies. I think that we just need to get it accessible and accepted and destigmatized in Australia so it can expand and grow. And I think live testimonies like mine um, really help people understand that, um, you you know, it, it really shows people that, you know, there are there is hope, that there is possibilities. Yeah. I mean, I think the aspect of even having these conversations, as you said, is is to continue with that hope um, and possibility, um, but also being um, clever in how we, um, just how we construct the scaffolding of, um, you know, of utilizing these these medicines. Um, And I don't know if you have anything else um, in particular around MDMA or the psilocybin in particular, you mentioned about uh, the experience you had uh, with psilocybin. Is there anything else or any other, um, anything else related to the industry or personal experience or anything that kind of feels that you haven't been able to articulate? Well, the, the little teachers, we call them the psilocybin, they're very different medicines to the mother who is the ayahuasca or the grandfather, which is the San Pedro or Wachuma. Um, and there are other medicines too that have different personalities, so to speak. Um, so really we say you, you get a calling towards one of the medicines. They say that they're calling you into their loving arms to get the healing and information that you're seeking. Um, so there is a lot uh, on offer in terms of help and and pathways with these medicines. You know, there's other pathways with the toad medicine. Um, Cambo is another one that can clear out, you know, all sorts of things on a physical level. You know, um, the hape that they're using in the tribes, which is like a snuff that they use to clear out uh, physical problems and can lead you into opening up to more divine states. There's a lot that hasn't been explored that I think that will happen over the next 20 years, which is really, really exciting. Um, so I just want people to know that, um, you know, the knowledge and capacity around these medicines is growing now, that, you know, that the information is there and hopefully the pathways for people to experience these medicines. There's lots of trials happening these days. Um for people to get involved with mind medicine, to stay involved with these organisations so that they're up to date with what's happening, that we can help by harnessing those people campaigning um, for these medicines to become legalised um, and more accessible. I think that's really important that we start to build a movement. Well, there certainly is, a, you know, a movement. I think the um, also the education around it, um, you know, not even though there's magical aspects um, of these plant medicines, certainly that it isn't necessarily itself the magic pill that, um, you know, the integration, the work that um, clearly as a, you know, really um, important example that you've just shared in terms of what you, um, what you endured um, in seeking the plant medicines, having the the experience and then coming back to doing the work um, and mm-hmm. 
you know, I think that continual, um, the notion of the compassion side is, is a really important one. Um, I think that you mentioned this with, and a lot of people, I think early on, and perhaps maybe the last question here today, but the, the notion of, you know, if, if the negative self-talk or the critic in the mind or from early trauma and lots of people have different, um, uh, layers, excuse me, an extent of trauma. Um, so we can call it either micro trauma or, or trauma in general. Um, and I'm not an expert, um, on trauma, but having had some, uh, early experience, early child experience with trauma as a lived experience, um, you know, the ways in which we can try to shift the mind, um, the minds, um, the mind talking or the negative self-talk, etc. And, you know, for me, um, pharmaceutical medicine has been useful. Um, and I still am on medicine myself, you know, that still has helped after, um, I, after having, uh, ECT um, and at different resident, you know, residence, residences in terms of psychiatric hospitals. But the last four years post having the ACT and having, um, you know, and on pharmaceutical medicine, um, you know, day to day is is livable. Um, it doesn't take mm. away, um, though, the challenges of life. Um, and I think whether or not pharmaceutical medicine medication um, and plant medicine um, and any modality that we may use. And I know I was, you know, exploring that with you today, that everyone's pathway is different. Um, of mm. you know, And so I suppose it's a, there isn't a magic fix um, with mental ill health. Um, mm. And we know it's, you know, the body, mind, spirit, et cetera. And, you know, you've talked again about the spirit aspect as well. Um, so I think there's a lot to um, potentially just keep seeing how we connect to um, these, you know, whether it be the plant medicines and um, education around um, safe use, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like some of the experience that you had in the Amazon, you know, like not everyone is, as you said, can go and have that experience um mm. and so how we bring the richness of the plant medicine and ceremony mm. um here yes yes so, um i suppose it's a continual conversation i you know i've thoroughly enjoyed it you can tell i think the idea i speak to you all day <laughs> but <laughs> so a continued conversation um is there anything else that you'd like to mention or say before we finish yeah I think look I transitioned out of corporate after the medicines into psychotherapy like I have a you know degree in psychology now and I really have shifted and transitioned into a lot more around psychology because of my own growth so it's like I want to grow and learn more so that's how I've come into alignment with it then now I can help others but I think look medication offers a safety net and it's an incredible safety net and sometimes we need it. Um, and so I think that underneath that, though, for me, having been on medication myself was 
how do I learn these tools that help me regulate my emotions, help me regulate my heart rate, my physiology, my nervous system? How do I learn the skills to relate on a level where I'm feeling I'm in my integrity, that they're compassionate, mindful interactions that don't leave me a mess afterwards? Um, how am I acting in every moment? What am I projecting into the world? Who am I being in the world? This all becomes really heightened in the medicine. You can see yourself so clearly. And sometimes it's quite confronting. And you can hear those voices. You can hear that you're a walking narrative. You can hear that critical voice. And what I understood was that voice wasn't mine. You know, I'd, I'd internalised a lot of the voices from my parents who were highly critical, disapproving. They had their own trauma, you know, and their own voices that had come through. It's intergenerational voices. I realised that that voice wasn't my own. Yes. And I really had to reparent myself I really had to learn how to be compassionate again so the medicine can open you up to all of this but then you really do need a support system and these tools to be able to keep you in that place keep you in alignment I call it mm. so there's a constant state of metacognition for me now it's like so I'm not going into the medicine every weekend I'm actually opening up my mind and aware of the thoughts aware of the trauma aware of how my body feels and how to come back to a sense of safety, a sense of satisfaction and a sense of connection. Now, I was shown all of that in the medicine. Then you've got to build those capabilities and that capacity within yourself. That's the work. Well, that's a, um, a really good place to, I think, pause our pause conversation. <laughs> I never like that. I never like to leave clearly attachment issues. <laughs> No, <laughs> um, no, I say that in jest. I think, you know, sometimes the laughter and a bit of um, lightheartedness within the context of a very serious conversation. When I said mm. to you um, before we started that, uh, you know, I don't take the conversations lightly. And at the same time, sometimes there is this like, you know, opportunity to um to laugh. And I think there, you know, the lightness, you talked about that in terms of where, where um, we can align with. Um, and, you know, you think, oh, love and light, it's, you know, you could be very skeptical about that. But sometimes it's the very, you know, it really is those precious aspects. And sometimes we don't understand the light unless we've seen the dark. Um, mm. Some people would say, I think, you know, that light comes from darkness, mm. you know, if they're, you know, and I don't know if that's the chicken or the egg, but I think that, um, you know, you, com you communicated with that clearly as well of in touch with these aspects. And so, you know, it's been a real pleasure to sit down with you and um, talk about these things. And the next time we'll have to, you had a, um, for those that are viewing, uh, Simone had this beautiful picture maybe I can put it in the show notes or something uh, a painting that was just above you and we had to mm. um, change um, oh is it there yeah oh. I can go back to the viewer oh I will for the halo pleasure beautiful. you are still um, oh there it is this beautiful um, yeah. picture and um, mm. yeah um yeah, it's quite incredible, whoever. It was someone you knew, you said, someone. Yeah, it was a beautiful, beautiful gift. So she symbolises my journey coming back into the light 
Right. So, you know, as soon as you turn on the light in the darkness, it's no longer dark anymore. And I find this whole process has been remembering, remembering my joy, remembering that love that was so burdened by society, life, expectations, trauma, so to speak. I was uncovering myself in the whole process. And, uh, and, and that's the beauty of psychedelics. They help you remember. And I believe that that is the truth of who I am, this, this divinity. So this is where I'm coming from and the lens I see my life through now. Well, it's beautiful um, and, mm. yeah, just a really beautiful visual. And for those who aren't um, uh, seeing it, there is kind of you're in kind of the bluish and black darkness, um, almost like at night it looks like, the underlying mm. um, colours. And then the goddess or the person who is um, in kind of a, a yoga uh, because mm. my position is is illuminated illuminated yeah halo. <laughs> so it's perfect just over your head too Simone so it's just there so yeah, it's thank you very much um we will hopefully I keep you know there might be these part twos as well but um it's been um yeah really nice speaking with you so thank you very Beautiful. much thanks so much for the opportunity Deb you're amazing appreciate it <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Mind Medicine Australia podcast. As a listener, you are very important to us. If inclined, we would love for you to follow the show, which just means wherever you listen to your podcasts, press the button follow, and that way you will be updated with each and every published episode. Lastly, if inclined, we would love for you to leave us a five-star review that way it's letting us know that we are meeting the needs of everyone who is listening. Thank you very much.